Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to let you know that uh, I've made some dumb decisions when it comes to money. Can anyone else relate to that by show of hands? You made some dumb decisions when it comes to money. Several of you, the rest of you, you have another problem. It's called lying. We'll talk about that some other day. But all of us, at some point in our life, if it has not happened yet, we will make a foolish decision when it comes to money. This past Wednesday, we started Financial Peace University, where we're talking about how we can steward well what we have. And Dave Ramsey, he says that a lot of us, we do stupid with zeros attached at the end, right? And so... We need some sort of help. All of us, when we're left to our own devices, we can find ourselves in trouble, specifically when it comes to the resources we have. And so we need a source of wisdom. We need a, we need a place that we can come to where we can hear how we can grow. And, and God's word is that. This is not a book of rules. This is a love letter that God has given to us so we can know him and know what he desires for us in this life. And God's word is truth. It speaks to so many different areas of our life, including and specifically money. And if we can learn to obey and learn and live out what his word says, it will leave us transformed. And so today we're continuing the series called Dollars, and sense. Well, we're trying to make some sense out of the dollars that we have or that we don't have. This is a, 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 a teaching specifically on financial stewardship. Last week, we talked about how this is not that. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're back. Church Family Online, I'm so glad that you're with us today because this isn't let's get your money. The church wants your money. God wants to get something to us. God wants to grow us and to help us steward what we have so we can be set free and so we can leave a legacy for generations to come. And so today, I've titled the teaching God and Money. If you're taking notes, that's in your app, God and money. And today I want to talk about a, a parable on stewardship that Jesus shared with us. So turn your Bibles, open up your app, follow along on the screen here and at home to Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. This is what Jesus says. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that his, this man was wasting his possessions. So he called to him and said, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in your account of your management, for you no longer can be manager. A quick question, be honest. Anyone here ever been fired from a job? Let me, let me see by show of hands. You don't need to make noise, but if anyone's ever been fired, again, wow, the 1030 is full of liars. Really? Okay, for how many of you who've been fired from a job, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you know in your heart you kind of deserved it? Right? Has that ever <laughs> like you were just playing solitaire the entire time, watching Netflix, sharing memes, and so your, your boss came up to you and said, "You haven't been doing a good job. You're fired." You're like, yeah, I kind of saw that coming. But what always happens, whether we're fired or let go from a job or it's a different season, is anxiety starts to well up, and we start to wonder, well, "What am I going to do for money? What's next? How am I going to pay my bills? What am I going to tell my family?" And this is what's happening here. It continues on. And so the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. 
I'm too ashamed to beg, so I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Verse five, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down and quickly write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. I mean, for some of us, this is a miracle greater than Jesus walking on water, your debt being cut in half, amen? Like if your mortgage, your company called you up and said, hey, it's only 50% of what you owe. Your your, your college debt, you don't owe 100% of anymore. You only owe 25%. That, That would get us excited. That would blow us away. But what I find even more interesting than that, the next verse, verse eight. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Here's a story. There's a rich man. He's very, very wealthy. I once heard someone say that I'm so poor I can't even pay attention. This guy's so rich, he doesn't have to pay attention. He pays someone else. He pays a money manager, a CPA, an accountant to manage his portfolio on on how to earn it, how to spend it, how to save it, how to tithe it. So he has this manager, but he hears that this manager isn't stewarding what he's given him very well. So he calls the manager in and says, show me an account. I I want a full audit. I'm bringing an outside auditor in to look at everything that you've done because you have not done a faithful job. And so now the money manager is freaking out a little bit. He says, I I deserve it. I get it. But what am I going to do? Because I'm going to need a job after this. And they're going to call my boss, my my previous employer to get a reference. And he's going to say he was lazy. He, He didn't know what to do. I have an idea. And so he devised this clever plan. It's wicked. Okay, let's make that clear. But it was very clever. He understood that since he was still legally employed by his boss, and he was still legally uh, in control of all the financial documents and dealings, he began to call the debtors in and say, how much do you owe? No, no, listen, cut that in half. How much do you owe? Okay, cut that by 20%. By the way, my name's Eric, and I'm looking for a job. He was cutting their debt so that he might have an opportunity to have a job or at least a community that he could go to afterwards. And the master was impressed by it. Here's a big question for today. At home, here in this place, I want you to understand this. There are good stewards and there are bad stewards. The question is, which one are we? There are good stewards and there are bad stewards. Who are we? Who am I? This is our year of stewardship as a church. Whether God gives us a little or a lot, we're going to faithfully work it so that we can see more opportunity to share this message of hope to the lost and dying world. But are we good stewards or bad stewards? That's the question for today. And stewardship, in case you forgot or in case you're a guest with us today, stewardship is simply taking something that belongs to someone else and managing it. And God wants to ask us, are we good stewards or are we bad stewards of what he's given to us? Because really, this story is about God and us. The rich man, the rich man who owns everything, this is God. And the one that he entrusted with some of it, this is us. God owns everything. Everything belongs to him. And he's given some of it to every single one of us to steward it wisely. Are we doing a good or a bad job? And what Jesus is teaching right now is a positive lesson from a negative example. 
See, a lot of us think that, that, that Jesus only taught positive lessons from positive examples. But here, he's teaching us something that we should be doing based off of a story of, of something negative that someone else did. So here's the next big idea. If we're humble, everyone has something to teach us. If you are humble, if you have ears to hear, if you're not so full of yourself and so full of pride because of your education and your experience, everyone can teach us something if we have the humility to hear it. See, if, if, if we want a good marriage, it is, it is good to listen to people who have success in their marriage, who are faithfully committed, who have grown in, in a love relationship. But can I tell you that there are some people who have messed up in their marriage or marriages, who have been divorced several times, and they have learned some lessons. And we can learn some lessons of what not to do if we are humble enough to listen to them. It's good if if you want to learn to steward your finances, to learn from people who have invested well, who who are are faithful in saving and spending and giving. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who've made some terrible mistakes that if we are humble, we can listen to them and learn from them. And so what Jesus is doing is he's teaching a positive lesson from a negative experience. And here's why. Why? Here's why he does this. Here's why this is important. Luke 16, 8. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Those outside of the walls of the church are far more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the church. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I want to talk about three things today. Three things. I want to look at money in three different ways. The Bible, uh, it it portrays and it, it shows Jesus to us in three primary ways. As a king, as a priest, and as a prophet. And Jesus, as a king, he is building a kingdom. He is faithfully and wisely stewarding everything that has been entrusted to him. Jesus, as a priest, is encouraging, is uplifting, is forgiving, is caring And Jesus, as a prophet, is boldly and passionately proclaiming this gospel, this good news of truth, to the ends of the earth. And Jesus talked a whole lot about money. And in this parable, we see all three views. We see all three of these perceptions, these perspectives, this kingly, priestly, and prophetic perception of money. And I want to talk about that today. I want to learn from Jesus. So write this down. The kingly view of money. Here's the kingly perspective, the kingly view of money. It's this. To faithfully steward, we must learn to be shrewd with money. Someone say shrewd. Look to your spouse and say, I hope you're shrewd. Not a shrewd. Okay, don't, don't come. Two different things. For us to faithfully steward, we must learn to be shrewd with money. Luke 16, 8 again. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And what Jesus is saying, unfortunately, is that oftentimes it's his people, it's followers of Jesus, it's the church that are naive and don't understand how to faithfully steward resources well. We don't know and we don't learn how to save and invest and spend and give. And because of that, Because we haven't learned how to faithfully steward and be shrewd in our stewardship, oftentimes we lose when it comes to resources and finances. 
And so part of our responsibility as stewards of what God has entrusted to us while we're here is to be shrewd. Not sinful, okay? Let's make a distinction. Shrewd. To be shrewd means to be wise, to be witted, to be clever in what has been entrusted to you. Some of us, we are not shrewd. Some of us, we don't know how to manage our resources financially. And I understand that, that this is a season where a lot of people aren't doing well financially. I understand it. And this is why this series is so important even right now. Because in the seasons when we have plenty, we don't think, well, how do I invest in the future? And how do I make sure that I'm leaving a legacy? And how do, how, how do I faithfully steward what God has given me? So that when we're in seasons of lack, we're in seasons of a little, now, now, now we're scrambling. Now we're trying to figure out. This is what Joseph did. In the seasons of plenty, he learned how to faithfully steward what God had entrusted with him so in the seasons of lean, they could live off of it. Too many followers of Jesus today, when it comes to finances, we're just dreamers. We dream about what it would look like if, if we won the Powerball, if we got a raise, if we had a legacy left for our children, we dream more than we do. And last week, again, we talked about this is not that, that who we are is far more important. Our being is far more important than our doing, but there is a doing that has to be done. And too many of us, all we do is dream and we don't do. But Joseph was a dreamer. No, Joseph wasn't a dreamer. I've taught that before. A lot of us believe that Joseph was just a dreamer, that God's gift to him was the ability to dream. Joseph dreamed two dreams and they were the same dream. And at the beginning of, of, of the story of Joseph. Joseph interpreted three dreams. And the dreams got him into trouble. The interpretation gave him an opportunity. But I want you to hear this. Joseph's greatest gift was that he was shrewd. He was a faithful steward. This is why when we see him in Genesis chapter 37, he brings a report to his father about his brothers because his father entrusted him because he was a faithful and shrewd steward. This is how he became in charge over everything in Potiphar's house. This is how he was elevated even as a prisoner, as the administrator of the prison. This is how God promoted him to be second in charge of everything in the kingdom of Egypt. Why? Because he was a shrewd steward. We need to learn how to be shrewd. We need to learn how to manage what God has given us wisely. And I'll admit, when I first became a follower of Jesus, I didn't know how to do this very well. It's something that I'm still learning how to do. I didn't know how to balance a budget. I didn't like negotiating contracts. People would tell me a price, and even if I knew it wasn't fair, I'd just accept it. All right, so tell me how much you want for the car. Okay, I'll just take it. What? Like, I, I, I didn't know how to faithfully and shrewdly steward what God had given me. And so oftentimes I would waste or make mistakes with the resources that I had been trusted with. And then I met my wife, who instructed me last service not to say that she was shrewd. She's a, she's a great deal maker. She is so responsible when it comes to the resource that God has entrusted our family with. And it's blessed our family. And it's helped us to, to set aside and leave a legacy for our children. And then I took financial peace to university. And I learned how to do it for myself. I learned how to faithfully and shrewdly 
Be wise and witted and clever and responsible with everything that God has given to me. And so what Jesus is saying to us today is, don't be greedy, but don't be foolish. Don't get ripped off. Be shrewd. I've seen too many Christians get into conflict because they aren't shrewd when it comes to business. I've seen too many followers of Jesus say, well, we love Jesus, and we're gonna love one another, and everything's gonna be all right, but, but not bring in a professional, and not have clear expectations, and not read the dotted line before you sign it. But we love each other, and we love Jesus. Let me know how that works out in here. I've seen entire churches embroiled in controversy because they didn't bring the lawyer in, because they didn't give job descriptions, because they weren't clear about the business. I've seen too many families end up in conflict and confusion because they love Jesus, but they've invested and they've been involved in the same business without going to a professional, without writing things down without negotiating the deal, and now it's left one of them feeling that they've been taken advantage of and it's brought conflict to the family. We need to learn how to be shrewd. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't be taken advantage of. Be wise. Be shrewd. Turn your neighbor, look him in the eye. Everyone turn your neighbor, look him in the eye right now. All right, this is, this is rehearsal for us to live it out. Look him in the eye and tell him, hey, dude, be shrewd. Just trying to make it light for you guys. Because some of you are like, I can't do that. I can't be shrewd. Being shrewd feels rude. It doesn't feel right. Do you know that being shrewd in your business dealings onto the Lord and not to man is just as holy as being a prayer warrior? Ooh. It's the truth. It's stewarding a different area of your life that God has entrusted you with. So th this is the kingly view of, of resources. Here's the priestly view of money. The priestly view of money. To faithfully steward, we must learn to love people with money. To faithfully steward, we must learn to love people with money. Luke 69, Jesus says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth. I know it sounds kind of crazy, okay, but follow along with me. What Jesus is saying is, use money to make friends. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to use what you have to grow the relationships that you are in. Have you ever met someone who's extremely generous but incredibly lonely? Think about it. Why don't they have any friends? Why, why does anyone like them? Well, you know, it's because they're, they're so generous with their time and they give so freely and they invite people over and, and they have feasts at their house and they just give their stuff away. Oh yeah, I hate that too. No, it works. Proverbs says, if you wanna have friends, be friendly. And what Jesus is saying is, take what I've given you, and as you get more, use it to increase your standard of giving to grow friendships. 
to grow relationships. If we are seeking the type of relationships, the eternal friendships that God has created us to have and to lead into, and we lead with generosity, you know what happens? It leaves people confused. Jesus is saying, use your money to make Friends, and I want to make this clear. I'm not saying you be the person who buys the friends. You, you buy the Instagram followers. You pay everyone in the lunchroom to sit at the table with you. I'm not saying that. Jesus is not saying that. Because oftentimes, what the point is, oftentimes, people far from God, all they expect from Christians is to beat, beat them over the head about their beliefs. And then when they believe, to give. Serve. Give volunteer. We knock on the door and say, you're going to hell. Okay, what do I need to go? Believe in Jesus and come to church. Okay, then they come to church. Give or you're going to hell. But Jesus is saying, if, if we want to grow these type of kingdom friendships that will last for all eternity and we start with generosity, it confuses people. Your neighbor whose car is broken down and you see them trying to fix it on the way to work and you stop and you say, hey, you look like you're in a bind. I'll help you fix it when I get home, but I have another car that we're not using right now. You, you, you can borrow that until your car is fixed. What? You're my neighbor, like I never talked to you before. Why are you doing this? You see the single mom, the single parent who's, struggling to make ends meet. And instead of saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. You actually become the answer to your prayer. And you meet their needs. And you buy groceries. And you befriend them. Try to help them out in life and sit down and say, let, let me help put you on a budget so that you can get out of this. Why are you even doing this? Because you matter to God. And you matter to me. And God has blessed me with everything that I need, and so I want to help you to have everything that you need as well. I mean, that's a, that's a, a different way of looking at evangelism. It's not, you're going to hell. It's, Jesus loves you, and he sent me to help you, to point you to the one who loves you. I know some of us were introverts, and when I say something like that, practically, like, I, I can't do that. I don't, even, I don't know my neighbors, and there's a good reason for that. It's because I'm just terrified of talking to other people. I understand that my prayer is that God will grow us, that God would give us opportunities. As we take advantage of those opportunities, he'll give us even more opportunities to share his love through our generosity. But I want to let you know that every week, we have the opportunity right here in this place. I don't know how many of you are guests watching online or with us today. How many of you have come during uh, this, this season of COVID and the pandemic? But if you, were, if you recall, if you were part of this familia before the pandemic, you remember that every month we did something called change for a dollar. Do you remember that? The whole idea was it's not your tithe. It's not your offering. It's just these, these transparent boxes on the way out before you exit our double doors. They're there. They say, change for a dollar. And, and, and if we would just drop a dollar in there or even your spare change, what change could we see in the lives of people in our local community? 
And so every week as people exit, we remind them, hey, just give something to change for a dollar. Just drop a dollar in there. And at the end of every month, we found needs right here in our local community, right here in this church familia. And we've been able to help so many single parents, so many veterans, so many elderly couples who, who were on a budget, but an emergency happened, and they weren't able to afford to repair what had broken. But the church familia came together, and we saw change in their life just from a dollar. Why do we do it? Because you matter to God. And you matter to us. And so I can't think of a better time to start this again than today. And over the next few weeks, next, next month, our City Serve project is going to be changed for a dollar. And over the next few weeks, you'll see us give a little bit more attention to that area. We're going to share some stories. But we have the opportunity to love people through our giving, to increase our standard of giving so we can grow relationships with people to ultimately point them to Jesus who loves them. That is the priestly perspective, the priestly view of money. Use your money to make friends, to grow relationships. And then in Luke 16, 19, we have the third one. Jesus speaks as a prophet and gives a theological motivation behind money. He says this in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 9. He says, so that when, and he's talking about money, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. He says, regarding resources and finances, when it fails, not if it fails, because it will fail, amen? You watch the news. You see commodities all over the place. You know gas is more expensive. Plywood is more expensive. The dollar might be losing its value. Bitcoin dropped in half. Don't eat, listen, bad mistakes, Dogecoin and GameStop, like it will fail you. So he says, when it fails, not if it fails, when it fails, what are you going to do with it? When it fails, for some of us, it's going to fail in this life. For all of us, it will fail before we end this life. You know the old saying, you can't take it with you, right? When you're dead, you can't bring it with you. You can't bring a U-Haul behind the hearse. Everything that you have gathered, saved up, invested in, when you are dead, it stays here on earth. You can't take it with you. And so many of us, were so short-sighted when it comes to our resources that we don't understand that this life was meant to love God and to love people and to use money. So here's God's prophetic view of money. The prophetic view of money. To be a faithful steward, we must learn to use money, not worship money. To be a faithful steward, we must learn to use it, not worship it. Jesus is saying, your resources will fail you. So use it. Don't worship it. He continues on in verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. He's talking about stewardship here. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? If you can't take care of, of your family and your business and your home here on earth with money that comes from other people, 
how can God entrust you with spiritual things? If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, which God has given to you, who will give you that which is your own? Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate one and love the other. He'll either be devoted to one or despise the other. Then he says this, you cannot serve God and money. We're talking about God and money. And you cannot serve both God and money. You have to decide today who you will serve, which one you will serve. Is it God or is it money? And in a lot of us, we would say, in God we trust. We worship God. It's him that we're going to follow. It's him that we serve. Our dollar bill even says, in God we trust. But if we're honest, too many of us believe when we look at that dollar, it should say, in this God we trust. Because we worship money. Maybe not with our words, but with our actions, we worship money. And money is important. The Bible talks more about money than most other things. And so I want to make this clear as we continue in the series. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I want you to hear this, okay? Last week we talked about how this is not that. I'm glad you're back today. God wants to grow us. This wasn't give us your money. The church wants your money. God wants your money. This is not that. But today I want you to know that money is not evil. This isn't anti-money. Money in and of itself is amoral. You can buy a Bible with money or you can buy a Budweiser with money or you can buy both. It all depends on your attitude and your understanding that will make money either an idol or a tool that will make it either evil or good in your life. We need to have a proper understanding, a shrewd stewardship and understanding when it comes to resources and finances. And too often in the church today in America, people, when, when we talk about money, churches talk about money, pastors talk about money, it lands in one of two different teams. Either poverty theology or prosperity theology. And I want to let you know that as a church, we don't hold either one of those. See, prosperity theology looks at people in the Bible who were rich. Job and Abraham and David and Solomon. It says, look, they, they were rich and they loved God. And the more that they loved God, the more rich that they got. And so the more that we love God, the more God will give to us. And can I tell you, that is a lie? Prosperity theology doesn't love God. It uses God to get more money. And we manipulate the promises of God. God, you said in Malachi that if I give to you, that you will give back to me, that you will open up the windows of heaven, which is his promise, which he does promise to those of us who trust him. But prosperity theology just focuses on getting more of their God, more of money. And so God, when I give you a little, you're gonna give me a whole lot more. And that's a lie. And we've, we've exported this prosperity theology to the ends of the earth, to the third world, that now when people look at these prosperity gospel churches, they say, if I believe the God of the Americans, then I will be rich like the Americans, and that is a lie. Prosperity theology worships money. 
uses God to get money. And a reaction, oftentimes an overreaction to prosperity theology is poverty theology. This is where people look at passages in the Bible saying that godliness with contentment is great gain and don't covet your neighbor's stuff and the love of money is the roots of all kinds of evil. See, it says it there, money is evil. We, we shouldn't learn how to steward it. We shouldn't learn how to invest it. We, we, we should just get rid of it because, because it, it's, it's dirty, it's demonic. No, the, the, the less we have, the closer we get to God and that is a lie as well. See, it's not if you have a lot or if you have nothing that will get you closer to God. It's not about what you have. It's about who he is. Some people who, who, who subscribe to poverty theology say, well, if it's about who Jesus is, Jesus was poor. So we need to be poor like Jesus was poor. And the preacher and the, 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 the worship pastor and everyone who works in the church and every church leader should be poor because Jesus was poor. Yes, he was, but for 33 years only, where did he live before that? Forget 90210. I mean, heaven's zip code was banging, y'all. They have so much gold, they're paving the streets with it. Then Paul says to the Corinthians, he who was rich was made poor for our sake. He came and was born in a barn, birthed by a teenager, raised by a blue-collar construction worker who was a working-class poor man, lived in a house no larger than the size of two parking lots today. And during his ministry, he was couch surfing. He didn't have a bed to call his own. He didn't have a job. He didn't have a stable salary. And Jesus, who became poor for our sake, made us rich in grace by paying everything that was required for us to be set free. He willingly placed himself on a cross of shame, carrying the sin and death that we deserve to pay. He paid it in full. Death could not hold him down because he's the perfect son of God and he resurrected, exchanging our sin for his grace. And where is he now? It's back in heaven. Never been there, but the brochures, they are they are really tempting. They're amazing. Makes Dubai look like Detroit. So, so it's not Jesus was poor, so being poor is good. It's not Jesus was rich, so being rich is good. It's whatever God has given you, what is required of you is to be a shrewd steward. Whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, he promises us in Matthew chapter 25 that if we are faithful to work the one or the five talents that he entrusts us with, if we are faithful to work it, we will have everything that we need for this life and he will give us greater opportunity to point other people to him with what we share, with what we steward, with what we're shrewd with. It's what we have are we shrewd with it? That's required of us. And I know today, we hear so many different opinions on money. 
And God's word is our standard. What does it say? But yet we lean our ear too often into what other people say. And depending on where you stand politically is where you dial in to the talk radio station as you're driving to work. And depending on what station that is, you hear two different opinions. You hear two different people blaming the problems of this country on different people. The rich say it's the poor. The poor don't get jobs. The poor are lazy. The poor stay on their social services. And the poor say, no, it's the rich. They're fat cats. They're greedy. All they care about is themselves. They don't share the wealth. And again, depending on where you stand politically or what you listen to, you get one of those two opinions. But you know what I've never heard? I've never heard someone call in and say, no, it's not the rich's fault. It's not the poor's fault. What's happened in my life is my fault. I take full responsibility for it because I didn't save up for an emergency. Because I bought things with money I didn't have to impress people that didn't even care about me, that I didn't even like, and I put myself in debt. It's my fault because I wasn't generous, because I didn't give to God, because I didn't lay a legacy for my children that we're in this problem right now. So I take ownership of it and I'm gonna learn from this negative event so that I can grow into all that God wants me to be. I've never heard that. I've never seen someone on a talk show on Fox or CNN say, no, it's on me and I'm gonna do better today. But my prayer is that as a church, as we try to make some sense out of our dollars, that we would take ownership of where we're at, knowing that this is the beginning of a new season of shrewdness and stewardship. That if we can take what God has given us from this day forward, he can grow it so we can grow his kingdom, so we can be set free, so we can leave a legacy for generations to come. So today, as we conclude, I wanna ask those two faithful questions, and I wanna take some time to sit in it. What's God teaching you? What's God putting on your hearts? Those three different views of money. What's resonating with you? What has the Holy Spirit laid on your heart? Some of you, do you worship the resources that you have? Are you, are you not a steward? Are you not shrewd? Are you just so lax with what God has entrusted you with? Are you generous? What's he teaching you? And what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do with what God has put on your heart today? And I believe today is a day of freedom. I believe today is a day of hope. I believe today will leave us transformed if we obey what the Spirit speaks to us. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.